One of the questions that I just wanted to begin by asking, and maybe it's a very simple question, but uh, why Genesis? Why here, out of all the churches that you could be at uh, this morning, uh, why are you here at Genesis? At some point, a decision was made to come today. Now, some, you've been coming for a really long time, like five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, some, you've been coming for uh, maybe a shorter time. You're newer to the community, and it's just been a few months or a year or so. And I'm guessing that there's some who are literally here today. A friend invited you to come, or you saw a sign on the road, or you went to the website. But the question that I just want to ask is, why here? Um, I guess what I'm asking is, what is it that you are looking for in a church? What is it that you're looking for in a church? Is it largely what you're going to get from a Sunday gathering. Maybe it's the music and you really like the music or a specific type of message or style of preaching that you're going to connect with. Or maybe it's a program uh, that we offer on a Sunday, whether it's with kids or, or students. Or is it largely why you're here, just people? You actually found some people that not only you like, but actually like you. And you're experiencing that friendship factor. Or is it you're here just honestly, just out of convenience. The gathering times work for you. We offer 3, 8.30, 10, 11.30. So if you're an early riser, we have something for you. If you're a late riser, 11.30 is for you. If you're just confused as to what Sundays should look like, then you can come to the middle service. Is it just convenience? Great location for you right off the highway. Or is it just like one of those historical things? I've been coming for so long, I don't know why not to come, and I did the church hopping and shopping thing for a really long time, and if you ever had to do that, that just gets tiring and exhausting. I know for me, um, I'm really thankful that I haven't had to church shop, for lack of better expression, for a really, really, really long time. And for those that you have had to go through that, it can be hard, it can be tiring, it can be frustrating. Over the past nine years, I have met a lot of different people that were just visiting Genesis, trying to check out and feel out, is this really the community that I want to be part of? But the common theme that I've met with all people is that there's a preference that they're looking for a specific preference to be met. Now, we all have preferences, right? We have a preference of type of music, type of message, type of, type of program. And I'm not saying that having preferences is wrong or sinful by any means. There is not one of us here uh, who is free from having a preference. And often, if not always, our preferences that we have drive the decisions that we make. And so if there's truth in that statement that preferences drive decisions, then is part of the preference that you have here that drove the decision to be here is faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God. What if the primary preference for being part of a church wasn't a style of music or a style of preaching or communication or a program, but what if the preference that we all had uh, was not a people, or not a person, but a people who were just being faithful to God, faithful to all of God's character, a people that were just being faithful uh, to live out God's mission for them, or a people that were being faithful to display what God's heart is, or a people that were being faithful to proclaim 
hey, this is what God's word actually says. So if you're a Christian, meaning you've made that decision to follow Jesus, I would suggest to you that the preference that you want met above all other preferences that you have is that we would be a people that are faithful to God in all things. Uh, Faithful to help you see who God is, what God is like. A people that would be faithful to challenge you and challenge you on things that might be inconsistent with who God is and what God is like. That your preference is you want to be around people who would be faithful to guide you, to encourage you to walk in the path that God's invited you to walk in or people that are just faithful to love you in the same way that God loves you, which is unconditionally. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're still trying to think through who is Jesus and can I really have a relationship with God and what does relationship with God actually look like, I would suggest to you that the preference that you want met above all other preferences is a people who are being faithful to God. Because let's be honest, you don't want like a made-up version of God, do you? You don't want some watered-down or half-truth version of God. Like if you're trying to figure out who God is and what God is like, you want to see what God can do in a person's life, don't you? You want to see what impact a faithful God is actually having on people. So again, why Genesis? Why are you at this church today? Is it because you just want to be around faithful people in relationship with a faithful God? Over the past five weeks, we've looked at uh, five different letters that Jesus wrote to some churches about 2,000 years ago in the book of Revelation. And one of the questions that I've been thinking about is, gosh, out of all the churches that we've seen so far and the churches we're going to look at, which is the church for me personally that I would love to go to? Which is the church that I would love to say, this is my home church? I would love to visit all of the churches, but out of all of the churches that, for me personally, that I would love to call my home church, it would be the church in Philadelphia. It's the church that we're going to be looking at today, the letter that Jesus wrote to this church. And if you were to ask, what's the reason of why that would be your home church? Well, they were faithful to God in all things. They were a people that were faithful to God despite their circumstances. They were faithful to God. Now, as we've done uh, with each letter, I'm going to invite all of us to stand as this letter is written as they would have done back 2,000 years ago. So if you would, stand with me. Uh, My friends Jason and Don Corbin are going to read the sixth letter, and this letter is to the church in Philadelphia, and it's Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do and have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obey my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, whose liars, who say you are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. 
Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Thanks, Jason. And I'll go ahead and have a seat. Uh, now, very similar to the second letter that we looked at, which was the church in Smyrna, uh, this church in Philadelphia, it doesn't receive any rebuke. Uh, it doesn't receive any correction. It just receives encouragement. And similar to every single letter that Jesus wrote to these churches, he begins by identifying for this community who he is in a way that would connect with their context and their culture. So in verse 7, when it says, this is the message from the one who is holy and true. Now, why this would mean so much to the men and women, the people in the city of Philadelphia is because Philadelphia was a city that was known for earthquakes, and they had endured some serious earthquakes that had devastated the city. Now, back in 17 AD, there was a uh, earthquake that literally crushed the entire city. And normally, the Roman Empire, uh, the city of Rome, would help rebuild the cities that were impacted, devastated. But Philadelphia didn't receive any support from the city of Rome. And so there was a building frustration, a building discouragement, specifically with the emperors that were withholding resources and funds from these people rebuilding their city. Now, fast forward some time, uh, the economic uh, heartbeat of the city of Philadelphia uh, was their vineyards. Think Napa Valley. Uh, they were known for their wine vineyards, and they were flourishing and prospering in their vineyards. And so around 86 AD, the emperor of Rome at the time uh, sent a letter decreeing that the city of Philadelphia, it is time for you to burn down your vineyards because their vineyards were starting to rival uh, the vineyards in Rome. People were talking more about the vineyards in Philadelphia than they were in Rome. And so the emperor said, we can't have that. And so I'm going to have you burn down all of your vineyards. Now, when the people of Philadelphia were forced to get rid of the backbone of their economy, it only solidified for the men and women who were living in the city that the leader, not only just the city, but specifically the emperor, he only cared about himself. It solidified for them that they can't be trusted, that this leader can't be trusted. It stirred in them this deep sense of betrayal. You don't care about us and our city. You only care about you. Now imagine, as way of example, if uh, Kyle, who's one of our pastors here, he said, hey, Kyle, we're going to plant you up in the North Shore. We're going to get another church going uh, up in the North Shore. And Kendall, you live in Lowell. He's another pastor at the church. And we want to plant you up in Lowell where you happen to live. And we get those two guys up and going. And after a few years, these two churches in the North Shore and the Lowell area, they're just growing like crazy. There's like thousands of people that are coming to these respective churches. And not only just numbers of people, but there are people who are meeting Jesus for the first time and beginning a relationship with God. Now imagine if I pulled a meeting together and said, hey, Kyle and uh, Kendall, I know things are going really well, but I'm going to need you to shut down those churches. You're going to need to stop right now. Well, Michael, why? 
Well, because we can't have your two churches that are bigger and better than what's happening here. We just, we can't have that. Imagine not only how Kyle and Kendall would feel if something like that were to happen, but imagine all of the people that were part of the community, how they would feel. What do you mean we, we have to stop meeting? God's doing so many amazing things. People are meeting Jesus. People are being encouraged. People are growing. Why do we have to stop? So if you can imagine how hard and frustrating the sense of just betrayal that people would feel, well, then you can maybe understand when Jesus identifies himself as holy and true, he is intentionally reminding them, guys, I am nothing like that emperor. I am nothing like the leadership that you have endured before. Jesus is saying to them, I can be completely trusted because I am holy. He is perfect in every way. He is truthful in every way. So with Jesus, there would never need to be a concern, a worry, or a fear that he would betray you. I just want to encourage you, because Jesus is holy, because he is perfect and true in all that he does, you and I would never need to doubt or fear or question his intentions with us or towards us. It goes on in Revelation 3.7, he says, the one who has the key of David, what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. And I know this language might seem a little bit, I don't know, maybe odd to us, but to the men and women, the people living in the city of Philadelphia, this would resonate deeply with them. They were living in a largely populated Jewish context and culture where the synagogue there was flourishing and thriving. But yet when men and women were making the decision to say, but gosh, we see that Jesus is the son of God. This is the way we can have relationship with God. They were not only getting just persecuted, but their persecution primarily sh showed up in the form of they were getting kicked out of the synagogue, which just for them meant they were excluded. They were alienated from family and friends. They were completely cut off. They were no longer welcome in the circle that they had been part of for all of their lives. Now, this Thursday, you're going to celebrate Thanksgiving with someone or someones. Imagine if you went to Thanksgiving dinner and you went to your parents' house and you showed up and they met you at the door and they said, hey, you can't come in. What do you, what do you mean? I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You're no longer welcome here. You're not allowed to step foot in this house. And by the way, don't come back at Christmas. And if you're thinking about Easter and maybe July 4th, those are out as well. You are no longer actually part of this family. You are gone to us. You are dead to us. But dad, why? Mom, why would you kick me out of, this is my only family, the only family that I've known my whole life. Well, you're getting all spiritual on us. You're following this guy, Jesus, and we want nothing to do with you because of what you're doing with him. You're gone. So if you can imagine what that would be like if you showed up at Thanksgiving and that were to happen to you, well, you can understand how painful it would be for them to be getting kicked out of the only family, the only circle that they knew. And honestly, worse yet, the implication of getting kicked out of the synagogue for them uh, is no longer Jewish, which means I'm kicked out of God's kingdom. I'm no longer part of heaven. I've lost the one sense of identity that I had that identified me with God. So imagine 
how comforting it would be to know that Jesus is the one who holds the keys to the kingdom. That Jesus is the one that opens and closes doors. It's not some synagogue ruler that has authority to open a door to you or shut a door to you. And maybe the men and women in Philadelphia would have remembered a metaphor that Jesus had used years before when Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So how reassuring for them and for you and for me as well, that our identity and our eternal security is not wrapped around some religious affiliation. Our identity or our eternal security is not what man says of us or what man does to us, but our identity, our eternal security is solely found in just the person of Jesus. The one who says, no, I have the keys. No, I open the doors. No, I shut the doors. What I'm learning afresh with each of these letters because he's consistent, he identifies who he is with each of them, but specifically with this, is confidence in who he is stirs faithfulness in who I am. When there is a growing confidence and no, this is who Jesus is, it's stirring something within me, namely faithfulness. I think why so many people have a difficult time just being faithful to the things that Jesus is inviting us to be faithful to why it's so difficult is we've just simply forgotten who it is that's actually asking us to be faithful to him. So having a growing confidence in who Jesus is leads all of us to a greater conviction to be faithful to him in all things. Now listen to how Jesus begins to encourage this church. It says in Revelation 3, I know all things you do. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. I'm guessing you take a deep breath. All right, he knows all things that I do. And you've already heard all the letters that have been written to the other churches read. And you know that some of the letters, there is a stern, hard rebuke to these churches. So I'm guessing, gosh, he knows everything about us. What is he going to say to us? The one who knows all things, what is he going to say? But Jesus brings nothing but encouragement. I know all things you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. So when Jesus says you have little strength, he's saying to them, guys, I know it. Like, I get that you're tired. I get that it's been a hard road. I understand that you're going through trials and pain and persecution and that you are being shamed and you are being rejected, all because you've chosen to identify with me. Jesus says to this church, I know that you are weak of little strength, but I love the encouragement. Your weakness has not translated into giving up. Your little strength or your weakness has not translated to giving in. Your little strength has actually demonstrated and shown up and revealed itself in that you have been faithful to do all that is in my word and to proclaim the message of Jesus and who he is. When you get tipped over, when you get tipped over, what spills out of you? 
Like if you were to tip a ketchup bottle over, ketchup is going to come out of the bottle because that's what's in it. So when you get tipped over, when you get maybe tested or tried, or maybe when you get squeezed, like what comes out of you? Would things like moodiness or anger or just shutting down or beginning that journey towards isolating or maybe just complaining, whether you do it to people or just in your head grumbling? Now, I list those things because those were the five things that often come out of me when I get tested, tried, squeezed, or tipped over. When you get tipped over, what comes out of you? Because even though the people of Philadelphia, they were weak, they had little strength for everything that they were having to go through, Jesus says, when you got tipped over, you were faithful to live out God's word. When you got squeezed, you were faithful to still proclaim Jesus. And so the question I've been asking is, how is it that they were faithful just to live out God's word and proclaim Jesus when they were getting tested and tried and tipped over like they were? How is it that they were not allowing their circumstances, which were not good, to dictate their faithfulness to God's word and his mission? And what I wrote down in my journal is this, his faithfulness fueled their faithfulness. It was the faithfulness of God in their life fueled their faithfulness to him. So when things were getting hard, which they were, not going their way, which they weren't, facing hardships and trials, they remembered. Now, but God is so faithful. How could we be unfaithful to the one who is but only demonstrated faithfulness towards us? One of my favorite verses that reminds me in the midst of me struggling with wanting to be faithful is Romans 8.32. It says this, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? Like if God was faithful to make a way for us to know him and the cost of that was giving up his own son, won't he also give us everything else? And the everything else that we need is just daily reminders of how abundantly and unconditionally his faithfulness is. So if you ever struggle to doubt of God's faithfulness towards you, we just need to look at what God did for us in Jesus on the cross. And not to be missed, faithfulness, it doesn't begin with you. Like God doesn't say, hey, I'll let you see my faithfulness when I finally start seeing you be faithful. Faithfulness does not begin with us. It always begins with God being faithful, number one, to who he is, and number two, being faithful to his promises that he has made. So if faithfulness doesn't begin with us, then how might you and I begin to grow in actually experiencing the faithfulness of God so that our faithfulness can actually begin to grow? I know there's maybe a few ways that we could think about this, but when I consider the men and women in Philadelphia, I would say this, enjoy being in God's word because it's going to be very difficult to be faithful to God and even understand his faithfulness void of actually spending time with God in his word. The men and women in Philadelphia, they were encouraged with, you are being faithful to live out God's word and you are being faithful to proclaim who Jesus is even though the situation is really hard. 
Because being in God's word is just such a constant reminder of God's unconditional and unending faithfulness to people. And so I just ask the question today, what is your relationship with God and his word? When you think about your relationship with God's word, is it one of those things that you see as, oh, I just need to endure it. I just know it's the right thing or the good thing to do, so I'm just going to do it. I, I can't stand on my Bible app when it, you know, I don't get to check off the boxes, so that's the relationship I have. It's not so much with the Word, but I don't want to leave a box unchecked. Do you see God's Word as more of, man, this is a feast for me every single day, or do you just kind of see it as maybe in a casual, occasional uh, snack just to kind of nibble on Because if we're going to grow in being faithful to God, it's not going to happen void of us enjoying. And I want to stress the word enjoying, not a burden to endure, but actually enjoying getting to see this is who God is. This is what God is like. This is his faithfulness. So people who are feasting on God's word are not only growing in awareness of just how faithful God is, but they are seeing God's invitation to be faithful through the open doors he's showing them. If you remember in the letter that Jesus wrote, he said, I've opened doors for you and you're walking through them. Generally speaking in scripture, when scripture talks about open doors, it is a metaphor or a picture of God inviting people to experience his faithfulness as they join him in his work. In a different letter that the apostle Paul wrote, he said in Corinthians 16, there is a wide open door for a great work here although many oppose me. I think in our day, we would be like, well, that's not an open door because it's hard. There's people who are opposing me. There's people who are making this difficult for me. So clearly it can't be an open door from God because if it was an open door from God, it would be easy. Everything would be smooth sailing. But yet the men and women in Philadelphia, they paid attention to the open doors that God was giving them to participate in the work, his work in their city, regardless of being shamed and kicked out and persecuted in the pain. They saw, no, this is an open door from God for us to join his work. So others could see the faithfulness of God through their faithfulness to God. So just thinking through open doors, where do you see God opening doors for you right now? Think with your family, whether it's in your marriage or relationship with your parents relationship with a brother or sister? Where do you see God opening doors in your home? He's inviting you to see how faithful he can be with the the door he's inviting you to walk into in your family, in your home. Or for those of you that are working right now, where do you see God opening some doors for you in your place of work? And I don't mean for you to advance your name and your career and your salary. Where do you see God opening doors in the platforms that he has given you so that you can be faithful to live out who God is and his word and actually help others catch a glimpse of who Jesus is? For those of you that are in school right now, whether it's middle school or high school or college or graduate school, where do you see God opening some doors for you in the places that he has put you in the places that you study? Just your community, your neighborhood. Where do you see God 
Are you opening a door for me? It doesn't look that open and it looks hard, but is that a door where you want me to enter into so I can experience your faithfulness that others might see your faithfulness through me being faithful to the open door that you've given? One of the final things that Jesus says to this church in Philadelphia is this, verse 11, hold on to what you have. Which is just odd because he's like, you're weak. You have little left. You have little strength. But Jesus says, hold on to what you have. So what did they have that he's saying, hold on to that? Well, what they had is they were men and women who had experienced the faithfulness of God in their life. And it was making them a community of faithful people. I would love to visit all of these churches that Jesus writes letters to in Revelation. But if I could... Go back 2,000 years ago, I'd love to make Philadelphia my home church. And if you were to ask, why do you want that to be your home church? Because it was a community of faithful people. And I don't know about you, but I love what encourages my heart and soul is being around someone else who is just being faithful to God. Not perfect, but they're growing and walking in faithfulness to God. I'm thankful that I get to consider Genesis my home church. Not because I think Genesis is a perfect church, not because I think we somehow have arrived. I know that we've got plenty of room to grow, so many things to learn, but I'm so thankful that I get to call this community home. Because when I see people here, I just see people are growing in faithfulness to God. And please don't miss this. I'm not saying perfect people. I'm saying flawed people who are being faithful to God because they've experienced the faithfulness of God in their life. Like I'm so thankful for our elders that they're faithful to God. I'm so thankful for our deacons who are so faithful to God. I'm thankful for our staff. Not perfect, but they're faithful to what God has asked or entrusted of them. I'm thankful for our group leaders. We've got about 75, 78 different men and women who said, God, I think you've invited me to come alongside a small group of men and women and just be faithful with loving them and helping them see you and encouraging them. So thankful for our group leaders. I'm so thankful for our team leaders, men and women who are serving and leading teams here on Sunday mornings. So their heart is that anyone and everyone who walks through these doors would experience a little bit of what Jesus is like and what they are like. I'm so thankful that they're leading their teams to just love people as they've been loved by Jesus. I'm thankful for all of our volunteers and all of our different ministries. I'm thankful that our volunteers are like, we just think God's invited us to be part of this role, to play this, do this task. And they're being faithful to that. I'm thankful for those that are faithful to give. And I don't just mean money. I mean faithful just to give of themselves. Give of their time, their talents, their resources, just who they are. I'm thankful that I get to call this place home because I see people who are being faithful and are hungry to grow in faithfulness to God because they've experienced firsthand God's faithfulness to them. One of the things I wrote in my journal this week is this, faithful people help people be faithful to God. 
what I love is there are people here still trying to figure out what does it really look like to be faithful to God? What I'm seeing is that there's a lot of people who are growing in faithfulness to God and faithful people help other people become faithful to God. So if you're here this morning, have you experienced God's faithfulness? Because if there's any doubt in your mind, you're like, I just don't know if I've really experienced God faith, God's faithfulness to me. I would just point you to the person, the life, the death, and the resurrection of God. You won't experience the faithfulness of, of God outside of experiencing, encountering who Jesus is and what he's inviting you into in following him. And are you being faithful to the doors that God is opening for you? They might not look very wide open because it's not easy, but nowhere in scripture is there an open door. I'm like, well, that's a life of comfort and convenience. The open doors are often marked by hardship, trial, persecution, and pain. But as we walk through those doors, it's so amazing how you get to experience the faithfulness of God in that.